0: 17, and out of their sight, they admired me and gossiped about me, with their hands under their aprons, in much the same manner as their more enlightened sisters of the washed-up gossip sometimes in the west. It was a beautiful spring morning, the sweet song of the birds pierced through the noise of the rolling river below. The air was fragrant and bracing, and as I left and commenced the rocky ascent leading again to the mountains, the barks of some fierce disposed canines who alone objected to my presence among the hill folk, died away with the rustle of the leafage in a keen north wind, one of my men was poorly, the solitary element to disturb the equanimity of our camp, it was Shanks, he had been suffering from toothache, and unfortunately I had no gumbum with me, without my knowledge Lao Chang had rubbed in some strong embrace at to onto the fellow's cheek, so that now, in addition to toothache, he had also a badly blistered face, swollen up like a pudding. Upon learning that I had no means of curing him or of alleviating the pain, Shanks bellowed into my ear, loud enough to bring the dead out of the grave mounds on the surrounding hillsides. Puppetay! Puppetay, then, raising his carrying pole to the correct angle on the hump on his back, went merrily forward, warbling some squealing Chinese ditty. But Shanks was the songster of the party. He often madly disturbed the silence of middle night by a sudden outburst in song, and when shouted down by others who lay around, or kicked by the man who shared his bed, and whose choral propensities were less in proportion, he would laugh wildly at them all. Poor Shanks, he was a peculiar mortal. He would laugh at men in pain, and think it sympathy. If we could get no food or drink on the march, after having wearily toiled away for hours, he would not be disposed to grumble, he would laugh such tragic incidents as the pony jumping over the precipice provoked him to extreme laughter, Acts and when I caught him sewing up an open wound in the sole of his foot with common colored Chinese thread and a rusty needle, and told him that he might thereby get blood poisoning, and lose his life or leg, he cared not a little, as a matter of fact, he laughed in my face, not at me, not at all, but because he thought his laughter might probably delude the devil who was president over the ills of that particular portion of human anatomy, he came to me just outside Piu where we saw a coffin containing a corpse resting in the roadway whilst the bearers refreshed nearby and, pointing thereto, told me that the man was, but sighed not here the Chinese never on any account mention the word death and his sides shook with laughter, so much so that he dropped his loads alongside the corpse, and startled the cock on top of the coffin guarding the spirit of the dead into a vigorous fit of crowing for fear of disaster. We enjoyed fairly level road, although rough, for 10 Lee after leaving Taipingpu, it rose gradually from 7.400 feet to 8.500 feet, and then dipped suddenly, and continued at a fearful down gradient. I might describe it as a member of a British infantry regiment once described to me a slope on the Himalayas. It was about 8 years ago and a few fellows were at a smoker given to some tommies returning from India, when a bottle-nosed individual, talking about a long march his battalion had made up the Himalayas, in excellent descriptive exclaimed, Twas Ill, twas n' gradient, twas a blooming precipice, Dubner, the Himalayas and the country I am now describing have therefore something in common, just before this the beautiful mountains, behind which was the Talifu Lake, made a sight word of coming a long way to see, Midway down the steep hill we happened on some lonely log cottages. Twenty-five lee from Tyapingquit is reckoned as thirty-five lee traveling in the opposite direction. In the forest district I found the houses all built of timber wood piles placed horizontally and dovetailed at the ends. The roofs being patched. You have merely to step aside from the road. And you are in dense mountain forest, it is manifestly easier and less costly than the mud-built habitation. Although for their part the people were worse off because of the lack of available ground for growing their crops, here the people were still essentially low-low, and the big-footed women who boiled water under our shed had difficulty in getting to understand what my men were talking about. The second descent is begun after a pleasant walk along level ground resembling a well-laid-out estate, and a treacherously rough mile brought us down to an iron chain bridge swung over the Shui Pai Ho, at the far end of which, hidden behind bamboo matting, are a few idols in an old hut, they act in the dual capacity of gods of the river and the mountain, tea and some palatable baked persimmon very like figs when baked were brought me by an awful looking bite that who was still in mourning, his unshaven skull sadly betokening the fact, as I sipped my tea and cracked jokes with some Sichuan men who declared they had met me in Chongqing I must resemble in appearance a European resident in that city, it was the fourth time I had been accused of living there, I admired the grand scenery farther along, especially did I notice one peak, towering perpendicularly away up past woods of closely planted pine and fir trees, the crystal summit glistening with sunlit snow, as soon as I started again on my journey, I was pulling up towards it, soon I was gazing down upon the tiny patches of light green and a few solitary cottages, resembling a little beehive, and one could imagine the metaphorical wax-laying and honey-making of the inhabitants. These people were away from all mankind, living in lifelong loneliness, and all unconscious of the distinguished foreigner away up yonder, who wondered at their patient toiling, but who, like them, had his yesterday, today and tomorrow, there they were, perched high up on the bleak mountain sides, with their joys and sorrows, their pains and penalties, struggling along in domestic squalor, and rearing young rusticity and raw produce. On these mountains in Yunnan one sees hundreds of such little encampments of a few families, passing their existence far from the road of the traveler, who often wished he could descend to them and quench his thirst, and eat with them their rice and maize, most of them here were isolated families of tribespeople, who, out of contact with their kind, have little left of racial resemblance, and yet are not fully Chinese, so that it is difficult to tell what they really are, most were Alolo, walking here was treacherous, a foot pathway was the main road, winding in and out high along the surface of the hills, in many places washed away, and in others overgrown with grass and shrubbery, across China on foot, would have met in a timely end Had I made a false step or slipped on the loose stones in a momentary overbalance, I should have rolled down 700 feet into the Shui Pai Ho, once during the morning I saw my coolies high up on a ledge opposite to me, and on practically the same level. A three legally dividing us, they were very small men, under very big hats, bustling along like busy lilliputians, and my loads looked like matchboxes, I probably looked to them not less grotesque, but we had to watch our footsteps, and not each other, we were rounding a corner, when I was surprised to see one leap, a couple of lee away, the Fusong were making considerable hue and cry, because rusty had rolled 30 feet down the incline, and as I looked I saw the animal get up and commence neighing because he had lost sight of us. He was in the habit of wandering on, nibbling a little here and a little there, and rarely gave trouble unless in chasing an occasional horse caravan, when he gave my men some fun in getting him again into a line. It was not yet midday, and we had four hours good going, so I calculated. Not so my men. They could not be prevailed upon to budge. And knowing the Chinese just a little, I reluctantly kept quiet. It was entirely unreasonable to expect them to go on to Chutun. Ninety li away, it was impossible, and I learned that the reason they would not go on was that no house this side of that place was good enough to put a horse into, even a Chinese horse, and they would not dream of taking me on under those conditions. There was not even a head available for the traveller. So they said I had come over a difficult country, plodding upwards on tiptoe and then downwards with a lazy swing from stone to stone for miles. Throughout the day we had been going through fine mountain forest, everywhere peaceful and beautiful, but it had been hard going. In the morning a heavy frost lay thick and white about us, and by 10.30 a.m. the sun was playing down upon us with a merciless heat as we tramped over that little red line through the green of the hillsides. Often in this march was I tempted to stay and sit down on this ward, but I had proved this to be fatal to walking. In traveling a you and man one's practice should be, start early have as few stops as possible. When a stop is made let it be long enough for a real rest. In Sichuan, where the tea houses are much more frequent, men will pull up every 10 li, and generally make 10 minutes of it. In Yunnan these welcome refreshment houses are not met with so often, and little inducement is held out for the coolies to stop, but upon the slightest provocation they will stop for a smoke. On this walking trip I made it a rule to be off by 7 o'clock. Stopped twice for a quarter of an hour up to tiffin my men stopped oftener. One hour rest was often for an hour. So that we were all refreshed and ready to push on for the fag end of the stage. We generally were done by four or five o'clock. And I should be the last in the world to deny that by this time I had had enough for one day. Upon arrival I immediately washed my feet. An excellent practice of the Chinese. Changed my footgear, Drank many cups of tea. And often went straight to my Pukai. The roads of China take it out of the strongest man. There are no marathon runners here, progress is a tedious toil, often on all fours. My room at Walinghu was near a telegraph pole, there was a telegraph station there, where my men showed their admiration for the governmental organization by at once hammering nails into the pole. It was close to their laundry, and served admirably for the clothes line. A bamboo tied at one end with a string to a nail in the pole and the other end stuck through the paper in the window of the telegraph operator's apartment, but this is nothing. Years ago, when the telegraph was first laid down, the people took turns to displace the wires and sell them for their trouble, and to chop the poles up for firewood. It continued for a considerable period, until an offender or one whom it was surmised had done this or would have done it if he could have his ears cut off and was led over the main road to the capital, to be admired by any compatriot contemplating a deal in wiring or timber used for telegraphic communication purposes. Just below the town the river ran peacefully down a gradual incline. I decided that a comfortable seat under a tree, spending an hour in preparing this copy, would be more pleasant than moping about a noisome and stench-ridden inn, providing precious little in the way of entertainment for the foreigner. Next door a wedding party was making the afternoon hideous with their gongs and drums and crackers. And everywhere the usual hue and cry went abroad because a European was spending the day there. I imparted to my man my intentions for the afternoon. Immediately preparations were set on foot to get me down by the river. And it was publicly announced to the townspeople. The news ran throughout the town. That is one P single quote you single quote S one little narrow street a sad mixture of a military trench and a west of England cobbled court, and instead of going alone to my shady nook by that silvery stream, one was accompanied by nine adult members of the unemployed band, three boys, and sundry stark naked urchins who seemed to be without home or habitation, one of these specimens of fleeting friendship was one-eyed, and a diseased hip rendered it difficult for him to keep pace with us, one was club-footed, one hair-lipped fellow had only half a nose, and they were nearly all goitres, as I write now these people, curious but not in goof, are crouched around me on their haunches, after the fashion of the ape, their more Darwinian evolved companion and his short hand notes being admired by an open mouthed crowd, down below my horse is entertaining the more hilarious of the party in his tantrums with the man who is trying to wash him footnotes, footnote acts, the day before, whilst we were passing along the edge of a cliff, We saw a deliberate suicide on the part of a pony, getting away from its companions. It first jumped against a tree, then turned its head sharply on the side of a cliff, finally taking a leap into mid-air over the precipice. It touched ground at about 250 feet below this point, and then rolled out of sight. My men exhibited no concern, and laughed me down because I did. It was, as they said, merely diseased, and the muleteers went on their way. Leaving horse and loads to Providence. This sort of thing is not in common. EJD chapter XXI. The mountains of Yunnan, Man. Wonderful scenery. Among the Mohammedans. Sorry scene at Chutun. A hero of a horrid past. Infinite depth of Chinese character. Mule falls 150 yards. And escapes unhurt. Advice to future travelers. To Shei We meet Tibetans on the mountains. Chinese cruelty. Opium smoker as a companion. Opium refugees. One opinion only on the subject. Mission work among smokers and eaters. Mere words are a feeble means to employ to describe the mountains of Yunnan. man. As I start from one Link this morning, to the left high hills are picturesquely darkened in the soft and unruffled solemnity of their own still unbroken shade. Opposite, rising in pretty wavy undulation, with occasional abruptions of jagged rock and sunken hollow. The steep hill sides are brought out in the brightest coloring of delicate light and shade by the golden orb of early morn, flowering majestically sunwards, sheer up in front of me, high above all else, still more somber heights stand out powerfully in solemn contrast against the pale blue of the spring sky, the effect in the distance being antithetical and weird, with the magnificent sunshine eye standing up as a beautiful background of perpendicular white from whence range upon range of dark lines loom out in the hazy atmosphere, from the extreme summit of one snow-laden peak, whose white steeple seems truly a heavenward-directed finger, I gaze abstractedly all around upon nothing but dark masses of gently waving hills, steep, weary ascents and descents, green and gold, and yellow and brown, and one's eyes rest upon a maze of thin white lines intertwining them all, these are the main roads, I am alone, my men are far behind, I am awed with an unnatural sense of bewildered wonderment in the midst of all this glory of the earth, everything is so vast, so grand, so overpowering, murmurings of the birds alone break the sense of sadness and loneliness, away yonder full-grown pine trees, if discernible at all, are dwarfed so as to appear like long coarse grass, for some thoroughly the road runs through beautiful woods, high above the valleys and the noise of the river, and now we are running down swiftly to a point where two ranges meet, only to toil on again, slowly and wearily, up an awful gradient for two hours or more, but the labor and all its fatiguing arduousness are nothing when one gets to the top, for one beholds here one of the most magnificent mountain panoramas in all West China, far away, just peeping prettily from the silvered edges of the bursting clouds are the giant peaks which separate Fu from Yangpai, white giants with rugged, cruel edges pointing upwards, piercing the clouds asunder as a ship's bow pierces the billows of the deep, and then, gradually coming from out the mist, are no less than eight distinct ranges of mountains from 14.000 feet to 16.000 feet high, besides innumerable minor heights, which we have traversed with much labor during the past four days all rich with colouring and natural grandeur seen but seldom in all the world, Switzerland could offer nothing finer, nothing more sweeping, nothing more beautiful, nothing more awe-inspiring, with the glorious grandeur of these wondrous hills, rising and falling playfully around the main ranges, the marvellous tree growth, the delicate contrasts of the formidable peaks and the dainty, cultivated valleys, and the face of nature everywhere absolutely unmarred, Switzerland could in no way compare, is it then surprising that I look upon these stupendous masses with wonder, which seem to breed only eternity and immensity? The air is pure as the breath of heaven, all is still and peaceful, and the fact that in the very nature of things one cannot rush through this pervading beauty of the earth, but has to plod onward step by step along a toilsome roadway, enables the scenery to be so impressed upon one's mind as to be focused for life in one's memory. One is held spellbound, these are the pictures never forgotten. Here I sit in a corner of the earth as old as the world itself, these mountains are as they were in the great beginning, when the creator and sustainer of all things pure and beautiful looked upon his handiwork and saw that it was good, the country here seems so vast as to render nature unconquerable by man, man is insignificant, nature is triumphant, railways are defied, and these mountains, running mostly at right angles, will probably never not in our time at least be made in by the puffing and the reeking of the modern railway engine, they present so many natural obstacles to the opening up of the country, according to the standard we westerners lay down, that one would hesitate to prophesy any mode of traffic here other than that of the horse caravan and human beast of burden, nature seems to look down upon man and his earth's flowering contrivances, and assert, Man, be gone, I will have none of thee, and the mountains turn upwards to the sky in silent reverence to their Maker, whose work must in the main remain unchanged until eternity. It is now twelve-thirty, and we have fifty li to cover before reaching Chutung. We sit here to feed at a place called Xiao Shu a sorry and makeshift of a building, where in subsequent travel I was hung up in bitter weather and had to pass the night. The people, courteous and civil as always, show a simple trustfulness with which is associated some little suspicion i gave a cake to a little child but its mother would not allow it to be eaten until she was again and again assured and reassured that it was quite fit to eat this home life of the very poor chinese if indeed it may be called home life has a listlessness about it in marked contrast to that of the west there is little housework no furniture more than a table and chair or two and the simplicity of the cooking arrangements does not tend to increase the work of the housewife. People here today are going about their work with a restful deliberation very trying to one in a hurry. The women, with infants tied to their backs, do not work hard but very long. A mud house is being built nearby, and between the cooking and attending to passing travelers, two women are digging the earth and filling up the baskets, while the men are mixing the mud, filling in the oblong wooden through and thus building the wall, at my elbow a man old and grizzled and birdie is turning back roll upon roll of his wadded garments, and ridding it of as many as he can find of the insects with which it is infested, a slaughtering, boss-eyed creed and chops wood at my side, and when I rise to try snap on the women and the children they hide behind the walls, thus my time passes away, as I wait for the coolies who sit on a log in the open road feeding on common basins of dry rice, after that we had to cross the face of a steep hill, we could, however, find no road, no pathway even, but could merely see the scratchings of coolies and ponies already crossed, it was an achievement not in risky, but we managed to reach the other side without mishap, my horse, going to the stupidity of the man who hung on to his mouth to steady himself, put his foot in a hole and dragged the fool of a fellow some twenty yards downwards in the mud, my coolies, themselves in a spot most dangerous to their own necks, stuck the outside leg deep in the mud to rest themselves, and set to assiduously in blackguarding the man in their richest vein, then, extricating themselves, again continued their journey, satisfied that they had shown the proper front, and saved the face of the foreigner who could not save it for himself, then we all went down through a narrow ravine into a lovely shady glade, all green and refreshing, with a brook gurgling sweetly at the foot and birds singing in the foliage. There was something very quaint in this cozy corner, with the hideous echoes and weird re-echoes of my men squealing. Then we went on again from hill to hill, in a ten-inch footway, broken and washed away, so that in places it was necessary to hang on to the ever-growing grass to keep one's footing in the slopes. One needs to have no nerves in China. Down in the valley were a number of muleteers from Burma, Cooking their rice in copper pans, whilst their ponies, most of them in horrid condition, and backs rubbed in some places to the extent of 12 inches square, grazed on the hillsides. In most places the foot of this ravine would have been a river, here it was like a park, with pretty green sward intersected by a narrow path leading down into a lane so thick with virgin growth as to exclude the sunlight. As we entered a man came out with his pithai and himself on the back of a ten-hand pony, the animal shied and his man-servant got behind and laid on mighty blows with the butt-end of a gun he was carrying, the pony ceased shying, to Chutun was a tedious journey, rising and falling across the wooded hills, and when we arrived at some cottages by the riverside, the Fusong had a rough time of it from my men for having brought us by a long road instead of by the new road so-called, although I do not doubt that it has been in use for many generations. Some Sichuan coolies and myself had riced together on a low form away from the smoke, and the while listened to some tales of old, told by some half-witted, Goytree's monster who seemed sadly out at elbow, the soldier meantime smelt round for a smoke, as he and my men had decided a few moments ago that each party was of a very low order of humanity, their pipes for him were not available, so he took pipe and dried leaf tobacco from this half-witted skunk, who, having wiped the stem in his eight-inch-long pants, handed it over in a manner befitting a monarch. It measured some sixty or seventy inches from stem to bowl. From wan lingpu to Chutung is reckoned as eighty it is quite one hundred and ten, and the last part of the journey, over barren, windswept swept hills, most fatiguing. In contrast to the beauty of the morning scenery, the country was black and bare, and a gale blew in our faces. My spirits were erased. However, by a coolie who joined us and who had a remarkable knowledge of the whole of the west of China, from Shunqian to Singhai, from Mengs to Tachian Lutetium, plied with questions. He willingly gave his answers, but he would persist in leading the way. As soon as a man endeavored to pass him, he would trot off at a wonderful speed, making no ado of the 120 pounds of china pots on his back, yelling his explanations all the time to the man behind, Xian lay over to the right. 15 Li from Xiu which is protected from the elements by a bell-shaped hill at the foot of a mountain lit up with gold from the sinking sundown which dipped as I trudged along the uneven zigzag road leading across the plain of peas and beans and winter crops. Four 8-inch planks, placed at various dangerous angles on three wood trestles, formed the bridge across the 50-foot stream dividing Xiu from the world on the opposite side. Across this I saw men wander with their loads and then I led Rusty in whilst the stream washed his legs. I sat dangling mine until called upon to make way for another party of travelers. Remarkable is the agility of these men. They swing along over eight inches of wood as if they were in the middle of a well-paved road. Chutung is a Mohammedan town. There are a few Chinese-only Buddhists, Taoists and other ragtags, although when the follower of the Prophet has his pigtail attached to the inside of his hat, is it not unusual when he goes out fully dressed? There is little difference between him and the Chinese. Pigs here are conspicuously absent. People feed on poultry and beef. I rested in this city some month or so after my first overland trip whilst my man went to convert silver into cash. A trying ordeal always. Whilst I sipped my tea and ate a couple of rice cakes. I was impressed. As I seldom have been in my wanderings. With the remarkable number of people. From the 600 odd houses the town possesses who during that half-hour found nothing whatever to do to benefit themselves or the community, as members of which they passed monotonous lives, but to stare aimlessly at the resting foreigner. The report spread like wildfire, and they ran to the scene with haste, pulling on their coats, wiping food from their mouths, scratching their heads and root one trouser leg up and the other down, all anxious to get a seat near the stage. A river flows down the center of the street, And into this a sleepy fellow got dipped bodily in the crush, sat down in the water, seemingly in no hurry to move until he had finished his vigorous bullying of the man who pushed him in, those who could not get standing room near my table went out into the street and shaded the sun from their eyes, in order that they might catch even a glimpse of the traveler who sat on in uncompromising indifference, several old wags were there who had witnessed the rebellion at the moment, had I not become callous. Another might have seemed imminent and were looked up to by the crowd as heroes of the horrid past, being listened to with rapt attention as they described what it was the crowd looked at and once it came, had I been a wild animal let loose from its cage, mingled curiosity and a peculiar foreboding among the people of something terrible about to happen could not have been more intense, but I had by this time got used to their crowding, so that I could write, sleep, eat, drink, and be merry and go through personal and private routine with no embarrassment. If I turned for the purpose, I could easily stare out of face a member of the crowd whose inquisitive propensities had become annoying, but as soon as he left another filled the gap. Quite pitiful was it to see how trivial articles of foreign manufacture such, for instance, as the cover of an ordinary tin or the fabric of one's clothing brought a regular deluge of childish interest and inane questioning, and if I happen to make a few shorthand notes upon anything making a particular impression, a look half surprised, half amused, went from one to another like an electric current, had I been scheming out celestial hieroglyphics their mouths could not have opened wider, as I right now I am asked by a respectable person how many ounces of silver a Johan Thauber's BB costs, I have told him, and he has retired smiling, evidently thinking that I am romancing, That I impress the crowd everywhere is evident, but with all their questioning, they are rarely rude, their stare is simply the stare of little children seeing a thing for the first time in their lives, it is also hard to understand, my silver and my gold they solicit not, they merely desire to see me and to feel me, a certain faction of the crowd, however, do solicit my silver, Lao Chang has been buying vegetables, and has brought all the vegetable gardeners and green grocers around me. The poultry rearers are here too, and the forage dealers and the grass cutters and the basket makers, and other thrifty members of the commercial order of Chew and humankind. When I came away the people dropped into a line and strained their necks to get a parting smile, I was sped on my way with a public curiosity as if I were a penal servant that were released from prison, a general home from a war, or something of that kind, and so this wonderful wonder of wonders was glad when he emerged from the laborenthic brain-confusing bewilderment of Chinese interior life of this town into somewhat clearer regions, I could not understand, and to the wisest man, wide as may be his vision, the Chinese mind and character remain of a depth as infinite as is its possibility of expansion, the volume of Chinese nature is one of which is yet but the alphabet is known to us, my own men had got quite used to me, and their minds were directed more to working than to wondering. in China, as in other Asiatic countries. One's companions soon accustom themselves to one's little peculiarities of character, and what was miraculous to the crowd had by simple repetition ceased to be miraculous to them. As I put away my notebook after writing the last sentence, I saw a mule slip, fall, roll for 150 yards, losing its load on the down journey, and then walk up to the stream for a drink. A Z we started for Shayong on February 2nd, 1910 going over a road literally uncared for, full of loose-jointed stones and sinking sand, down which ponies scrambled, while the Tibetans in charge covered themselves close in the uncured skins they wore. This was the first time I had ever seen Tibetans. They had huge earrings in their ears, and their antiquated top boots much better. However, then the man top boot gave them a peculiar appearance as they tramped downward in the frost. Going up with us was a Chinese. On the back of a pony not more than eleven hands high. Sitting as usual with his paraphernalia lashed to the back of the animal. He laughed at me because I was not riding. Whilst I tried to solve the problem of that indefinable trait of Chinese nature which leads able-bodied men with sound feet to sit on these little brutes up those terrible mountain sides. Some parts of this spur were much steeper than the roof of a house as perpendicular as can be imagined but still this man held on all the way. And the Chinese do it continuously whether the pony is lame or not, at least the majority, but the cruelty of the Chinese is probably not regarded as cruelty, certainly not in the sense of cruelty in the West, being Chinese, with customs and laws of life such as they are, their instinct of cruelty is excusable to some degree, not only is it with animals, however, but among themselves.